0: Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Head of Physical Preparation at British Triathlon, Ian Piper. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast, which I'm very, very, very excited to bring you. So I'm recording this intro just after my chat with Ian. So I got a little bit excited because of obviously uh, to the two guys that are the kind of uh, I suppose the, the poster boys really of the um, of the British triathlon um, squad in Alistair and Jonathan Brownlee. So got a bit excited, obviously talking about them guys and that. Ian's work with them too, as well as the as well as the girls as well, who are extremely successful, form the basis of the chat. Um, we discussed everything from what their off-season program looks like, um, what they're doing uh, when they when they go to Spain and, and go away on, on camps, and how their the autonomy that is given to them by the. By Ian and his coaching and the coaching staff, uh, British Triathlon, um, and a little bit into the psyche of the two guys, get two guys especially, um, and how much kind of autonomy they're given with with the program itself and and how it's delivered and what is actually delivered, which was very very interesting. So it's a, it's a great episode of Ian. I'm so pleased to get it in the bag um, and and have a good real, really good chat with him. Just before we get into the chat with Ian, we have um, a Sports Science Minute, which is a couple minutes long and it fits in really well. And it's from Coach Me Plus, who are sponsoring the episode today. So Doug is gonna chat about the difference between rest and recovery, which fits in really well because a, a lot of chat around that uh, in the episode with Ian and and how the how the the, the triathletes at British triathlon go about um, Dealing with the recovery days And how that's maybe slightly different to your traditional team sports um, Because of a, of a certain lifestyle that they've kind of bought into But we'll get into the, the chat with Ian straight after Doug um, Hope you enjoy uh, both both the Sports Science Minute and the, and the chat with Ian um, Would love your feedback on everything to do with the podcast Especially this episode um, If you do like it, make sure you share it on Twitter uh, And you can follow me on Twitter at strengthofsci uh, and my more personal podcast page, which is at Pacey Perform. So I hope you enjoy, and I'll speak to you soon.
1: This is Doug McKenney from Coaching Plus with your Sports Science Minute. Today's topic is the difference between rest and recovery. And when I think of uh, these two things, obviously they're synonymous in some ways, Uh, the rest as an example is usually designed uh, between workouts for example if you're in the weight room and you're doing you know squats you have uh, three sets and in between that first and second set you have a rest period one two three four minutes and the reason for that rest period is to restore that energy to allow you to meet the intensity of the lift itself same thing with you know anaerobic work as an example you're doing uh, treadmill runs a minute minute one minute work one minute rest and that rest is again allowing you to restore some of that energy to be able to do you know 115 uh, percent of a vo2 and then followed by uh, one minute complete rest or one minute active recovery maybe you're doing the act of recovery or rest uh, from that minute bout of work at um, you know 60 or 55 percent of your vo2 max uh, so there are rest periods established in a program to allow you to uh, restore some of that energy that's needed to do the work. On the other side of the coin, when you're talking about uh, recovery, the way that I look at that is, are you, you know, are you recovered? Literally, you're recovered from the work that you're doing. Are you excited to practice, lift, or perform? Uh, do you have a good frame of mind? Are you able to be focused? Uh, do you have chronic soreness after every workout, practice, or game? Um, how are you sleeping? Is it irregular? Do you feel well-rested after being in bed for, you know, several hours, eight hours? Um, do you need supplementation uh, to help you get motivated to perform? And you know, the list can go on, but um, I think the design of recovery has to also be built into a program, and certainly it can be you know, a judgment made on the spot. For example, a player comes in and he's glycogen depleted, dehydrated, and sleep deprived. You know, obviously he's in need of recovery. Um, and it's more than just rest, it's recovery because we're trying to improve uh, his level of performance and uh, reduce his chance for injury. Uh, built-in recovery plans need to be established, you know, on a weekly, monthly and also on a day-to-day basis based on, you know, um, how you're charting your athletes, how you're um, um, looking at their behavior um, on, on a day-to-day basis. And you know, I think you can build into these recoveries, but also act appropriately on a day-to-day basis. Uh, so there is a difference between um, rest and recovery, and that's the way that I see it. That's your sports science minute.
0: thanks for tuning in to the pacey performance podcast so tonight i have the pleasure in speaking to the head of physical preparation at british triathlon in ian piper so welcome to the podcast ian thanks rob it's good to have you mate so uh just want to give a little bit of background on you if anyone doesn't know who you are um maybe a bit of education and your current role yeah no problem um i as most people involved in sport again
2: i I did sport as a kid growing up, get to a reasonable level. Um, back home in Scotland, went to Edinburgh Uni to do an undergrad in applied sports science, which again was was a bit of an eye opener. Again, just just because being involved in the sort of the the background behind sort of sport and what goes on was really fascinating for me. Um, moved on from there to Stirling Uni to do a masters, which is a, a fortunate position where it was a studentship, so you worked for the university part time. Um, as a as a personal trainer in the gym and with the Scottish Institute of Sport being based there, you got a bit of shadowing with the SNC coaches that were there, and then you studied part time your masters a couple of days a week, so you did it across two years, and it worked out a really sort of beneficial program. From there, obviously, there was at that point it was getting close to sort of when the twenty twelve Olympics had been announced, and there was some new funding that came on um, for some of the sports that hadn't had funding in the past. So there was three um, three internships that were that were put up two within the EIS and one across in Sinai. And I was fortunate enough to to be successful in getting one of those ones. And there was that the sports I was with for that were with archery and table tennis. So initially it was a twelve month internship contract. It was based in the West Mids. So at that point in the West Midlands, Nick Grantham, again who's been on the podcast, was was lead for the region. So again, from he was he was my mentor and and still is plays quite a sort of prominent mentor role with me today. Uh, Mark Jarvis, who again I think has also been on the podcast, who's still high up, in, high up in the EIS and the Performance Solutions. Team from there, and probably a coach that very few people listening to the podcast will have heard is is a guy by the name of Aaron Singh, who who for me is one of the the best coaches in the UK. But again, he's he's not involved in any of this sort of stuff. He's just in the gym coach and absolutely loves it. He's a he's a really good coach and a top bloke. So across those three, it was a really good place to to kind of sort of learn the craft for for ten twelve months with Nick, kind of really kind of get up up get up and get up and go with it and very strategic and quite demanding in terms of the expectations he has on you. Mark, again, is a really sharp guy. And then Aaron, who's just a, a straight up in the gym coach and just a really top bloke. So again, really good place to learn. Um, from there, there was, a, there was a little bit of changing around in terms of where some of the sports were, and I ended up in Sheffield um, with a real mixed contract, multi-sport, with a big mix between Olympic and Paralympic sports, which again was was a really good learning learning sort of time for me from there. And then between 2009 and 2012, I was fortunate to work with JB Boxing and British Triathlon, Um, so again, a a good period for the sports from there, which is an absolute pleasure to be involved in, and that involved some work based in Leeds, and a lot of my week based in Sheffield, Um, and after the 2012 Olympics, the triathlon asked if I'd go full-time with them just to begin the 2013 in a a sort of S&C performance scientist role, which which again was another sort of challenge from my part, not just just straight S&C coaching, but... Something a bit different there, a bit more looking at the monitoring and then some of the analysis of performance, as to as to why some of the athletes we had were were being successful, and it was again another fascinating um thing to kind of move into and just a different challenge for me. And now on the back of this last cycle through Rio, um I'm kind of moved to the role of head of physical prep, so supporting the S&C coaches, nutritionists, and physiologists that work with our sport again, just to really help them out and try and help them develop. So it's been a it's been a fair whistle stop sort of twelve years since since 2004, I finished my undergrad to now. And um, yeah, it's, it never it never feels like a day of work. So so it's always a good place to be like that.
0: So we, we I've talked about mentoring quite a few times on the podcast, and you mentioned obviously Nick been uh, used to be a mentor and is is still a mentor. What 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 do you get from that kind of relationship? Is it actually a will it be my mentor? Yes, I will that kind of thing, or is it just kind of something that happens organically and you kind of still tap into his knowledge? um I think I think
2: I don't know I think there's an organic element to it. I think there's a the main things that I think you get from that is is a kind of try and promote some reflection again so whether that's through questioning or 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 maybe sending different things through from a reading perspective to try and make you really reflect and challenge your own practice and it's a little bit again we're just kind of again being um what's the sort of phrase I'm looking for kind of really just kind of like check and challenge you. Again, what are you thinking from there? What would you do in this situation? And really starting to talk through those ones, but then also just someone to go to for advice. Because again, for a lot of the senior coaches, um, that, that are around that you get to kind of, kind of, um, work with and kind of meet and things like that, there's, there's a lot of knowledge there, which I think we don't often tap into enough. Because again, a lot of these guys have been there and made the same mistakes. And I guess, I guess there's a, there's a part of with your own career, you want to make some mistakes so you learn from them. But again, if you can have the heads up about what think, things that are coming that you, that you may make make a mistake with, then I think that that's that's an important role from a mentoring point of view. Like I say, it's just a good sounding board.
0: Mm-hmm. Just moving on to the the current role that you've got with British Triathlon. Obviously, the two people that stand out are Alistair and, and, and Jonathan, but obviously the girls as well can't forget the, the two girls that are doing outstandingly well as well. But what's it like? Um, what's it like working with the two lads?
2: It's. Um yeah, well, I started working with them in in two thousand and nine, um, which again is 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 sad in a way because I only ended up working with them because the uh, the SNC coach at the time who worked with them guy by the name of Mike Morley again, who sadly passed away re- um, relatively recently last year, I think off the top of my head, and and he'd done a lot of work with them through their kind of early teen years from probably fourteen till I ended up seeing them at at, at seventeen, eighteen. Um, they'd worked with them right through there, and I ended up meeting them at sort of twenty, and, nineteen, and twenty one years old in terms of Jonathan and Alistair. so. Again, he did a lot of pre-work before I even even met them, and it's it's been an interesting journey since they are from guys who, at, at times, are not that interested in necessarily a lot of gym work to then being really really keen on different areas, and and yeah, it's been a, it's been a big challenge. I think they're both very intelligent guys, both really know what they want to do in the sport. Um, the discussions are more like working with a colleague rather than necessarily an athlete coach. I think the one of the one of the strengths of them running the road, or one of the strengths of them is that they they run a lot of their own program and and by that i mean that if you speak to them about it they would almost have the fact that they are kind of the ceo of their own company and that Just actually sure. they've all the decisions and all of the, the accountability rests with them and they work with coaches and different members of support staff as a, almost a group of consultants that they consult in for different projects or different needs that they have which again as a as a young snc coach is quite an, an interesting um position to be in where where you've got guys who have that kind of intellect level with that ability that they can almost run their own program and that they they have enough knowledge and enough experience that that they do go and read all different papers and speak to different experts around the world through skype and so on so forth to to help answer different questions so i think from that point of view it's a really steep learning curve because you're going from working with development level athletes to guys who are Oh well, I've read every paper about hamstring tendinopathies, and this is what I think I'm going to do. What do you think? And therefore it changes it changes the discussion quite a little bit. but again, it's from I say from a young practitioner point of view, it's a really good challenge because again you're not having to go with all the answers. It's much more of a, a discussion and an advice, and then you sit down and chat about it and present the information, they come with some information, and then there's a joint decision made. And like I say, it's been—it was a really interesting time to go through that with with that with those guys, particularly. Um, particularly, obviously, because you, everyone can see what they do when it comes to racing, but the the mental side of it and the the um, sort of thirst for knowledge and to understand that they both have is is also a, a big part of it. I think.
0: So they haven't always been like that, the two lads. Then um, I have
2: them. since since I've known them. I say, when I met them from the first nineteen twenty one year, nineteen twenty one. Um, the, my first meeting with him actually—we walked into the gym, and um, I was covering—I was covering one of the first sessions that I had. And um, bear in mind, at this point in 2009, I think there was five World Series races, and this was was halfway through. And I, I had already won the first three of them, and um, yeah, and then went on to win the next two. So we kind of sort of walked <laughs> into the gym halfway, halfway through the season, and he's kind of unbeaten for however long it's been. And John's you know closely on his coattails, and. We kind of walked in and it's like, oh, we've got S&C now. Yep, yep, the program's under the, the radio. It's in the corner. Um, and that was where the, the programme got stored, so they knew they wouldn't forget it. And um kind of got in there and someone had, someone had cleaned up the programme and had binned it. So therefore, we just had to go with the programme off the top of their heads because I hadn't seen it and I'd never met them. And this was the kind of first time in. So, yeah, that at that point, there was there was still a, a want to understand and a still a decent... Um, background to it but I think over time they've they've really start really started to want to take a lot more control of their programme and, and from my point of view I'm quite comfortable with that. Um I think if you if if you have an if you have a good enough relationship with an athlete you I think you can, you can get to that point where you almost again someone was speaking about mentors a minute ago you almost have that and actually my perspective on a lot of the coaching side of things is in many ways you want to almost make yourself redundant because again you educate the athletes well enough that they that they understand what they're doing, why they're doing it, and and then they can make smart decisions. And, what, and I suppose the backdrop to that, with particular our senior athletes in the triathlon program, is that both and Johnny, and Non and Vicky will be away from away from the training centres for upwards of 150 days per year. So a lot of the time, you can't be with all of them at the same time. So we'd have points last year, and the lead up to to Rio, where we had some people in Brazil and some people in the UK. And you were still program S and C sessions, and somebody would be covering a session, or maybe a co- uh, one of their sports coaches would be covering it. So therefore, the athletes have got to really understand a lot of the um, finer details, I suppose, around what's in the program, why it's in it. If I turn up to a gym and there's there's not a squat rack, but there's a leg press and there's a Smith machine, what can I do with that? That's going to be a that's going to be a good substitute, or if it's just got dumbbells and a TRX, what do I do with that there? And and these sort of things so will get to the point where they can really make smart decisions. And often we'll be on, be on camps now, and or for example, the guys just, they're in Spain, they fly back tonight actually, and you get a message saying, oh, the leg press is broken, I'm thinking I'm going to do this, this and this instead. What do you think? And therefore you're guiding athletes at that level, maybe more than actually dictating to them, or or it's a, not a pure tell sort of basis of coaching. So... Yeah, I think it's it's definitely been a continuum from where they were to start off to where they are now. But I think it's in a good place, and it's it's quite interesting then seeing the younger athletes who are coming in behind, who watch the way they operate and how and what they learn learn from them in terms of how they want to try and almost have their triathlon career, I suppose.
0: Do they do they travel any, with any kit with them? Any basic kit so they can do things in the hotel room and things.
2: Um, yeah, for the for the most part, we we have a, a sort of different different kind of weights, a weighted vests that we'll take. Um, the, each of the athletes have a series of the the big long um, bands that, that you see Kelly Starrett use a lot, and, and we have a lot of those things. There's a lot of tennis balls, golf balls, foam rollers that we go with um, a a TRX or 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 equivalent from another company, sort of thing that, that will go in each athlete or each each kind of training group that goes away. has almost got a little travel kit. Which which has a lot of these things, and a lot of it maybe it's maybe it's some kind of glorified active recovery type stuff we end up doing that they can like say they can do in the hotel room or before a pool session or after a track session or something like that. But I think we have we have en- we have enough things that go out go out with them that they can they can pull a session together whether it's again like say a good solid low 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 level conditioning session that may be in a circuit format or something like that. But I think for the most for the most part when we when we do go away we. We won't get to go to nice, quite nice places because the World Series is, is, tends to be on in, in some nice cities and some nice parts of the world. Um, there's some chat that Bermuda's in next year, so that won't be a bad trip to end up on <laughs> um, I put my hand up for that one. Anyway, I, think. And, um, I bet. Yeah, and then and again, we, so we end up in again some nice cities with some some decent hotels that we end up staying in. So most of the time, there will be a at worst a gym that's got dumbbells up to fifteen kilos and a few couple of kettlebells and. These sort of things. So again, it's it really comes back to I suppose the programming philosophy, and that triathlon as a sport, it's not a massive big max strength sport. We've never necessarily, we've never really necessarily worked on that with as a as a gen as a rule almost. Yeah, in places we have with some people, but in terms of what we're really trying to achieve, that's probably not where we're going to get the biggest bang for our buck. I don't think. But the the ability to to look at work capacity, the ability to look at some. Some strength in terms of the, the sort of almost triathlon terms, I suppose, to make sure that you've got a good level of robustness. I think that some of the gyms like that is probably almost all we need a lot of the time. Um we say we don't we're not into big Olympic lifting, we don't not a big squatting programme as such. A lot of single leg based work, um a lot of posterior chain based work, whether that's bar, dumbbell, kettlebell, do we name it, and and almost want to program more the movements we want to try and Try and um, develop with the guys rather than necessarily the specific exercise. I think from a programming point of view, we often jump to all this program squats and it will, yeah, it can do, but we would want to develop double leg strength in some context. Now, that may be a trap bar deadlift. It may be a straight bar deadlift. It may be a squat. It may be a leg press. If that's the safest and most effective option at that time, then that's what we'll use. And similarly with single leg, Similarly with upper body work, it's 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 more the pattern that we try and try and work and try and load and try and develop and then almost let the sport do the transfer of it from there which I think in my head seems to seems to make sense maybe not necessarily everyone's way that they would come in and work in a triathlon program and that's absolutely fine um, but at the moment again the athletes seem pretty comfortable with it they seem they seem to respond to it um, I think it seems to give them enough control that that they can, they can really buy into it and take a lot of ownership of it. But at the same time, for the younger athletes coming into the program, they can probably almost see the pathway that they're learning a little bit more about the movements we're trying to create rather than necessarily the spe- specific exercises we're trying to teach them. So,
0: mm-hmm. so for obviously triathlon with the, the three disciplines and obviously so many aspects to each of the three, how are you prioritizing from... Firstly, from an s point of view, what these guys need?
2: Yeah, I think I think the first thing that we would look at is is almost kind of what their background to the sport is. You know, I mean, we we have a few people who have grown up as triathletes and that's all they've done. But I think a lot of the time, particularly, again, a lot of the time through our programme and you'll see it in all walks of life, triathlon's massive now, isn't it? You have people transferring in and taking up triathlon from... From all sorts of different backgrounds so again we have some people in our program are from a swim background so the prioritization of what they need over someone who's from a run background for example can can really be is is really quite varied and so i think that's sort of the first place first place that we start kind of what tools are they actually coming to your program with and therefore where do you need to backfill so the with a lot of the swimming well with from a swim perspective we look at some body pulling strength but really mainly from a shoulder health perspective, just to make sure that they can actually, they can support the movements they're trying to do in the pool. They can support um, on the bike, because one of the big areas that we've seen is, particularly with the female athletes, there's, is the ability to ba- balance and handle the bike with the amount of power that they're putting through the pedals with the lower body. Again, I think that's something that the guys at British Cycling have looked at a lot too, in relation to some of their female track girls, because the, the amount of watts they can put down in relation to this, the ability to stabilise is, is maybe not necessarily always matching up. So. From a, from a swim perspective, we look at the that that ability to hold a good position in the water. So again, a lot of that's mobility and range-based and stability through that range and strength through that range. Um, from a cycling, a cycling point of view, there's obviously a big single leg movement, um, kind of stability through the pelvis. So it's always through the core in terms of being able to manage the rotational forces or anti-rotation work that we try and do with them. And then on a the run, again, is the one where we... Where we see, obviously, most injuries, again, due to the impact nature of it, and that very seldom do they actually run fresh. So, therefore, actually, the ability for them to be robust in when they're running at any point. So, for example, again, the guys will have key two key sessions in a week where they'll run as fresh as they're going to be, which would be in a Tuesday evening and a, and a Saturday morning. But the rest of the time running is kind of sort of shoehorned in amongst another three or four hours worth of training that day, and it may be a half an hour in the morning and a half an hour in the evening or something like that they may run so our ability to um, work on their robustness particularly through the lower limbs so knee and below but again obviously that how they're transferring that force and managing that force from from their hip right through to their foot on the, at the, the contact point is is really really important i think also as a sport it's quite a, a quad dominant sport so again the key areas we look at from the run again good poster- posterior chain um, strength, single leg and double leg to make sure they're stable and strong through their hips. Again, a lot of a lot of lower limb based work so they can manage the forces and also deal with that deal with that impact over and over again. And and often what might not be a great biomechanical position where they're landing through either fatigue um, or terrain they might be running on. And again, just really trying to work with them from an injury prevention perspective around that.
0: That was one thing that I was going to bring up a little bit later, but that kind of seems to fit in now, and that's with. Um with running technique is that something that kind of falls on on your plate or is that something that you work closely with the the kind of the, the coach the, the technical coach that picks up that side of things how does that how does that work and how, how yeah it's how, really
2: how, quite how, interesting because the it's 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 kind of it's not necessarily always the way that some of the sports will look at it so we are, yes there's an snc involvement and there's a, a big physio involvement in terms of the shapes that people are looking at and there's also a coaching involvement so between the kind of three disciplines. Um and again, every now and again, depending on what what's happening, we'll maybe often pull in a, a say a biomechanist who might come in and do some filming and look at some some more kind of quality feedback and maybe some more data based feedback. Just to kind of so we can try and track change if there's anything we're looking at changing. Or whether again, whether someone has an injury and they're coming back from that. We'll often try to try to look at what um what some more I like say some more data based information that we can have that that can, that can measure a change and actually track what is a meaningful change. But from a from an actual sort of enhancing running technique point of view, I think that lot, mate. We, we have different approaches depending on kind of where they're coming from and who they are, if that makes sense. So that if it's a young athlete on programme who may be 17 or 18, we'll, we'll obviously have a look at how they run. And if there's anything we can see straight away that actually, maybe they're spending too long on the ground. Maybe they've got a really short stride length, and um, Maybe actually when they land, they're collapsing through their hip or through their knee. Um, and then we'll try to try to almost uh, try and work on those sort of key areas to try and develop over time because we'll know from, again, anyone, anyone that looks at a technique that's a, a running technique that you can see maybe not being optimal in relation to collapsing through their hip, you know that that's going to be an injury risk at some point. So, therefore, when when we have a younger athlete coming in, we'll really try and work on their relative strength, their kind of reactivity and stiffness, and, and try and really work on, I guess, the stability and coordination so that we can – Try and use some some drill work to try and bridge that gap between what we're seeing in the gym or what we're trying to develop in the gym, I guess, and then what we're seeing from a and when they actually run. So that's where they kind of we see some of the younger athletes. Once we probably got again, there's not a particular age that I would maybe necessarily put on, but once they've got maybe further along the pathway or further up the pathway, maybe um, we we'll, we'll probably look at and go, well, actually, is that changeable? Because I think a lot of the time we can probably try and invest a lot of time and effort from both our side and the athlete's side to try and change something that actually in the long term might not be the best thing for them. Again, we you'll see that some athletes have optimised, there'd be guys that run track and field that you you look at it and you go, if I was teaching that technically I might not get into run like that. But they're in an Olympic final, so therefore they must have self self-optimised to to actually to actually make it work for them. And maybe it comes back to some of the, the Franz Bosch work about the the key attractor states and actually everything else around about that doesn't matter too much as long as you get to the certain key points at the right time. Maybe maybe, this, maybe there's elements of that that we're, we're kind of looking at and trying to think, okay, well, if, if we change that with a senior athlete, what potential damage might we do? Because we look at it and we're making the change with the best intentions. But maybe what we need to do is just go, okay, well, if, if that foot contacts maybe a little bit too toey or or it, maybe it's a little bit... um too near the ball of the foot and not spread spread across the whole the, the of the forefoot and we try and change it you say it might cause more problems but if we look at it and just go well what structures are then being loaded up that wouldn't normally be loaded okay and it might be it might be Tib Post or it might be Tib Ant or whatever it might be and okay well how about if we just go and try and make those as strong and robust as possible and we just leave the technique or we'll try and work on it but in, in essence we end up leaving it to an extent and we just try and work on the structures that are then being loaded differently to to the way that you might think they should run. Because ultimately, again, with a 26, 27, 28-year-old endurance athlete who's run X number of strides and swum X number of miles, etc., is to make a change like that it will take will take a long time and it will also probably be quite difficult.
0: How much if you did identify something like that within the running technique that you thought you could potentially have a good effect on, how much time would you actually get to do that? And at what time of year would that fit in? Would that just be a purely off season kind of um, KPI? Or would that something that can be f- kind of crowbad in throughout the year?
2: Yeah, I think it would be a, an interesting project to kind of like spec it out. But I think the, I think you would obviously start with where you're at. What have you got in front of you? What is there anything that we could change that's a, a sort of quick win? Um, and whether it's just an awareness, they may not run, they may not be aware that that's actually what they do. So again, making them aware of that. But I think. I think one of the main parts is what is it, it to, how is it you want it to to look like towards the end? Where do you want to get it to? And actually what's what steps are in there between? Because some of them might be actually well, we're going to work on this in the off-season and we're maybe want to work on trying to develop more posterior chain strength so you're stronger in that, that real kind of open hip hip angle position that you're going to be in at, at ground contact. Um, and maybe spend a full winter working on that. But then at the same time you're going to have to be aware that if you then clean that up how they're going to load through the the lower limbs, through their foot's going to be different. So therefore, you can't almost neglect that. So I think it's something that we probably would look at heavily in the off season because again, it's when you've got a little bit of time. It's not the same amount of same amount of intensity and and a lot in the um, in the training as such it's a little bit more aerobic based. So again, trying to protect some of the 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 key efforts or the key sessions that you can use from an SNC perspective. Once we get into season, again, there's some more key triathlon sessions. But I think there's still a there's still be an underlying sort of need to try and develop that, and I think therefore, if you get the chance to to develop it at, to a level in the off season, you can then start to kind of maybe not to the, the same extent, but still try and push that during the season. Now they're not if they wanted to, they could race every weekend. There's lo- so many triathlon races, it's there's almost too many. But when they then come out with a race program, we highlight maybe key four four to six week blocks, maybe two or three of them through the season that we can go. Okay, well. This maybe isn't as an important race. So we can just, we'll just train straight through that. And therefore, we've gained ourselves another four weeks that we can work on this key area. So, so an answer, I guess, to that in a bit of a rounded houses, around the houses way, but in the main part, the main block off season, almost take our chances when we can in the season, but always constantly trying to work on that awareness and make sure that the team round about the athlete are all having a shared vision of what we're trying to do with them. And that may be emphasizing it from, in physio in relation to to where they're getting sight or where they may be struggling with any little niggles in terms of why they might be coming up and maybe it's through some of the change but it's it's the right direction we're going and it's okay to working with the running coaches and the, the different staff that work with them from that side of things to again to constantly emphasize the, the same sort of positions that we're looking to try and achieve.
0: Just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Ian. Hope you're enjoying part one and hope you're not cringing at my excitement about talking about Alistair and Jonathan Brownlee too much. I just want to say a massive thanks to CoachMePlus and Vald Performance for sponsoring the episode today. So you can check out both of them at CoachMePlus.com and at VALDEPerformance.com. So the guys at VALDE are the, the people behind the Nord board and the new groin bar. So, hamstring testing system with the norboard and hip and groin testing system being the groin bar. So, massive thanks to them guys for sponsoring the episode today. So, in part two, um, more about about the Brownleys, as well as obviously the girls who are obviously, like I said at the start, incredibly successful. So, got some great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. Hope you do join it. Hope you do tune in to listen to them. And like I said before, if you do, value the podcast and do enjoy the episodes, please share them uh, with your network on Twitter, on Facebook, wherever it may be, so that people can get access to the uh, the great information provided by the guests who appear on the show. So, hope you enjoy part two, and I'll speak to you soon. So, in, in the off-season, what might a what might a typical strength session look like for these guys? I'm just talking about the guys because I'm a massive, uh, big, big fan, <laughs> big fan boy. But um, what might a strength session look like for them guys?
2: Yeah, so uh, um, if we went to just the the winter block gone, we have um, there's two key, two key strength sessions in the week that we have, which are based on a Monday and a Friday. And with th- with those ones there, we'll have a a, du- a double leg sort of loaded. Heavy, heavy day on one of them and a heavy single leg day on the other. We'll have a little bit of upper body pulling and we also have heavy hamstring base work in both days, um, double leg one day and single leg the other. And that's the kind of the, the main sort of chunks of the session, but the rough sort of session structure, we have got some mobility and activation, what to start off with. Again, they've they've probably come in from some sort of longish bike ride or again a a 90 minute swim or whatever it might be they've they've, that's the kind of sort of the things that you end up dealing with when they come in so they say they've come in probably kind of been sat down for four hours on a bike so therefore you're trying to undo a little bit of that Make again a little bit of activation based work and then again yes just straight into kind of the the key focus of the session and again for the winter for us it ends up we say it ends up being a double leg or or single leg strength based exercise so for the most part we'll try and use um a deadlift based exercise with them usually trap bar again just as it's from a safety point of view in relation to the positions that you can get in and posture and so on and then on a on a single leg in the off season we'll do a lot more um, sort of split squat based work so whether it's rear foot elevated or a reverse lunge type that type of hip angle as we get a bit closer to the season and probably around about now we're switching a bit more to some sort of heavier step up based work again just just trying to get them to link that into when they're going back on the track to try and run quick just trying to think about some of the positions that they're getting into through the through the um through their kind of their key sessions elsewhere. So those would be the kind of the main areas that we try and look at. So it says that double wise strength early in the week, single eye strength later in the week, and and it's kind of as much sort of heavy hamstring work as they can kind of tolerate with with still being able to do the rest of their training. So again, um some straight wide deadlift work, we'll look at maybe some slide board based work, some un- sort of unbalanced type hamstring work. Um, and and yeah, that that's the kind of the sort of main block. From there, from a core point of view, a lot of anti-rotation based, a lot of a lot of lower back, glute. Again, when we speak about core with the guys, we just talk about knees to nipples. So again, taking taking core, not just being necessarily what you'd see standing in front of the mirror, but really thinking much more posterior chain based. And again, some like I said, some anti-rotation based work, hip thrusts, hips lifts, all these sort of things. Again, just trying to make them as balanced as possible. So it's a it's a real mixed bag. Um, and we try and keep it keep it varied. Again, like I said near the start around sort of patterns that we're looking for, not particular exercises. And and yeah, we we say we just try and keep it varied and and try and get them to understand and and feed into the program as much as they can or as much as they want to. And then we just try and, yeah, like I say, just get them cracking in the gym and and lift as lift as much as we can in the off season because it's probably one of the only chances we get to do a, a really solid block of lifting before we get into the season. And we and we know and we and we know from a a program point of view, and, and they know as as athletes that a lot of the load and work that we we try to get in off season, particularly, but trying to maintain it through the season is really important from a, an injury prevention point of view. Particularly looking at it in terms of bone stress and and bone loading and these sort of things to try and try and almost again from a prevention point of view, I think it's
0: really important. How much fear is there of soreness amongst these guys? Um, a fair bit. A fair bit. I think the,
2: the challenge with that is, is, is it, so, is it so that it's worthwhile in relation to what else is going on in the rest of the week? And I had a discussion with one of my other SNC coaches um, last week. It was actually, and not just saying that for the podcast, it was genuine last week. <laughs> and um, we were talking about training environments and the, the triathlon training environment. And I think that something which we, we, I think as SNC coaches can get too sucked into is that the training environment is the one that we see them in most. Which is the gym, and that's, that's where we view the training environment. But actually, training environment from a lot of sports, particularly triathlon, is, is everything. Again, the guys will be, again, a, an average week, maybe 25 to 30 hours, but you can see weeks being up to 35, 37 hours, and that's, again, maybe 35k in the pool, up to 250k on the bike, and, and again, maybe 80 to 90k running, so, it's a lot of training environment that they are in that's not the bit you actually see. So in the off season, again, if if people's hamstrings are sore or whatever might be sore the next day and they're a bit stiff, running and swimming and and cycling, it's not really an issue. But then when it comes into season, and really for them, as much as from an SNC point of view, you'd want the key session in the week to be the SNC session, and maybe parts of the SNC session are key, but the really one that the the athletes grade themselves on will be the track session. Um, a key bike session that they have on the, on a Thursday, and then another key run session that they have on a Saturday. And, and I think the sort of protecting those sessions from a support staff point of view is, is, is really important because again, that's where a lot of changes will be made. Again, if, if they are able to run X quicker on a Tuesday night on the track and it means that their, their 1K reps come down from 243 to 239, then actually those are the sort of things that are making a big difference to them physically. Now, we have to understand then that the the and based work is there to support that and help develop that. But it's not, they're not there trying to be professional S&C athletes. As I think often we can get sucked into the idea of of, of, of thinking about and actually it's just there as part of the big picture. So I think as long as from an SNC point of view, you understand the big picture, you can then justify if, if someone is sore and they're, they're struggling in a session. Well, it's okay. It's January. Don't worry about it. We can adjust things a bit for next week. But we really need to push through this because actually, when it hits April, you're going to be away for, like I say, the best part of the next three or four months. And it's going to be really consistent. So in many ways, we need to try and make sure we get some good work done now. And as long as you can justify it and you can explain it to someone, I think most people are reasonable people. They'll understand. Um, and again, it won't be so the next day. And actually, if they get into the habit of being very consistent with their s the actual the general dorms that they get not necessarily as as bad as they may think it's going to be.
0: Just thought then, with the with obviously Johnny and Alice being, been, um, I suppose, stars now. Really, with the, the things that they've done over the last few years, how much profiling is there going on at the minute with them too, um, to kind of lead into the next generation of triathletes?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting one, and it's it's almost a million dollar question, isn't it? Where you have where you have fantastic athletes, and it'd be the same all over the world. You've got guys that can do things that people never thought you'd be able to do. Um, but then, in five years' time, someone else comes and does something different. It's a bit like Michael Jordan and Kobe, or something like that. You know, where somebody comes at some point who takes it to another level. Maybe Tiger Woods and golf. These sort of people that that come around, and I think triathlon at the moment is in is in that in that position. I think one of the big areas that we we're, we're probably trying to learn more from is is almost the behavioural aspect of it, and and the, the the work ethic and the culture and the background that that they come from to. To, to be the way they are and, and if I kinda of clarify that a bit more by triathlon, yeah it's it's a sport and, and people love doing it. But for the most of the athletes that we have on programme, particularly the very good senior athletes, it's it's just a lifestyle. And and again from a from a coaching point of view, particularly S and C wise, it's, that's often quite hard to get your head round where we talk about, oh you need to have a rest day. What did you do on your rest day? Oh I did three hours on my bike. <laughs> you know, well that's not really a rest day but yeah but it was sun was out. And I, I rode out for 90 minutes to such and such a cafe with a couple of mates. We were chatting away for the whole way out, sat down, had a cup of tea, chatted all the way back. And that was that. And that, and that is, is, is a, is a, I think it's a really difficult thing to get your head around as a member support staff, because that is, to all intents and purposes, not what you would expect people to do because that's the sport that they're doing. But actually with, with the, with the two guys and the, and the girls as well and also quite a few athletes on a program, that's, that's also means a relaxing. And I had a discussion with, with one of the senior athletes, again, a couple of months back now it would have been, and we are chatting about, I listened to a lot of the Tim Ferriss podcasts and one of the, one of the big yes. things he talks about is meditation and, and that a lot of the high performers he's, he's, he's interviewed or dealt with of, uh, are into meditation. And I was chatting to this with some of the senior athletes and, and we're sort of saying, well, actually, do you ever think about that? What, what do you think to that? And I, well, actually, maybe when I go for a run on my own and it's a really crisp winter morning or it's a bright sunshine in the afternoon, it's just me. It's definitely, it's, it's completely quiet and there's nobody, boy, I don't have my phone. I don't have any music. It's just the sort of the countryside. Actually, is that my form of meditation? And that actually that's the way that I relax and that's the way that I do it just because it doesn't take the format that everyone thinks it should. Doesn't mean the outcome's not the same, and I think that's one of the one of the, again, like say from my point of view around sort of recovery days and having having time off and going easy. That that's just what they do. Like I think there won't be a point uh, in in any day going forward other than, than ill health where either Alistair, John, Norna or Vicky probably won't ride their bike more or less every day, or that they won't go for a run more or less every day. And that for the most part, I think that's just the sort of, that's the sort of things we're probably trying to learn, um, about what's, what's driven that kind of adventure and that lifestyle sort of things that then means that from 15 or 16 years old, training's not training, it's just fun. And I think that's one of the bits where we, where we're really trying to tap into and use them. Again, we could put them in physiology labs and fit, measure VO2 maxes, this, that, and the other. And we've had kids on program who've had fantastic physiology numbers, but, haven't necessarily been consistent enough over a number of years to redevelop it. And I think that the the one thing that you see from from that group is the the consistency over a number of years. And that become that comes from the, the without sounding sort of too cliched into it, but it's almost just the love of actually doing what they do. And and it's like I say it's not just a sport, it's just the way that's just the way they live their life. So yeah, it's it's it's, it's fascinating. And I think it's 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 very it's very interesting. And I think there was a a BBC documentary about about Alistair and Johnny. Um I don't think it's an iPod, but I'm sure it's on YouTube probably illegally, but it's still a good watch. <laughs> and um, and it and it kind of talks to like their old swimming coach and these sort of things. And I, I genuinely would recommend people to watch that because it's it's a fascinating insight into into them as people. Again, when you have Alistair to sort of actually, you know, there's a bit where I just like hurt myself. And I can go and it doesn't matter, I don't need a train partner, I can just go and hurt myself because I quite like what it feels like. And I think it's that's that side of things that trying to tap into is, but it, yeah, it's just it's really really fascinating. So fascinating watch, and, and again, like I said at the start, fascinating people to to be around and be involved in. I mean,
0: well, we were what's... we were speaking before, and you, you mentioned that the the two guys had um, kind of changed your belief in what was humanly possible with regards to how how far uh, how far in the you know in their eyes that. The kind of line to stop is, which I thought was a quite an interesting, uh, interesting thought for them, them guys, and that's obviously why they've done what they've been able to do.
2: Yeah, I think I think there's the the, the general off switch isn't in the same place as everybody else's. I think there's an element of that, um, but I think I, I think there's there's a, there's a lot there's a lot of examples over like, i say over the what seven or eight years that I've been involved with that training group of whether discussions you've been involved in or training camp should be been on where someone's just done a, a, a training day that's had seven hours worth of training in it and you're just looking at it just like how on earth and then get up the next day as if nothing's happened and <laughs> the, the sort of classic bit is when we get again they just basically come back from spain tonight and you often when it gets towards the end of the spanish camp you walk around the breakfast table and everyone's sort of heads in the dinner bowl which again is the that kind of classic way of of checking people's want readiness to train is whose hair's dripping in the their, their, um in their breakfast and whose isn't. <laughs> and uh usually our Al and John are sort of sat there, bright eyed, bushy tailed when it's day twenty one, day twenty two, whatever it might be, and, and everyone else is kind of hanging onto the edge of the seat just trying to keep themselves upright. So <laughs> yeah, like I said there's lo- there's lots of different things classic. that we you know like I say we could do a we could do a full pod- podcast on just kind of experiences that you've seen from from that side of things. But I think the there was a session we were doing last year, um pre-games it would have been, I'm, I'm thinking probably, oh, fairly well pre-games, about March time probably, and the guys were doing some efforts, and as as usual, it ends up being down to two or three people left, because everyone else was blown up, and then, um, I think Alistair made a big effort up one of the hills, and Johnny them and one of the training partners tried to go and couldn't, and we were kind of debriefing this afterwards, and the training partner was saying, well I had nothing left, and John was like, well I didn't have anything left either, <laughs> but you always got something, and, and you you just have to go, and it was a really interesting discussion because it was a complete matter of fact part where Jonathan was just like, well, no, you you always you always have something you can give more, and the training part they were speaking to was like, but I don't. He's like, well, you do. You just don't. You just don't do it. But you need to start doing. Like it was really interesting that this just was such a black and white. You're never done. You've always got something else left, and maybe if you fast forward to. Things like what people were seeing in Cozumel at the end of the year in Mexico. I was gonna that, say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That maybe maybe that maybe that is maybe that is the point that maybe that, that was the point where there was nothing left. Uh, <laughs>
0: that was crazy and, by yeah, the way. It
2: just, it's interesting. Really interesting.
0: And how much how much coverage that got as well and rightly so, because that was absolutely crazy. What well, what was the yeah, what was was the talk in camp yeah. about that? What was the talk in the in the group about that? In relation to In relation to him being pulled along for the last Whatever, how many meters by his brother?
2: Um, yeah, I, I, to be honest, there's not there's not actually been an awful lot of discussion. I think, and that's not just kind of like sort of political get out of get out of jail on <laughs> yeah. But on the on the end of, on the end of that point, everyone goes on a, a kind of long winter break and and sort of shows up again um, early October for some some screening and, co- and different testing and things like that. And by then, it had kind of almost died down a little bit. I think. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think there, there wasn't enough. There's not been enough water chatting amongst the group about it. Actually, there's been a little kind of sort of a bit of joking here and there about it, and and again, it's some of the media stuff that's come through has been kind of some of the sort of the joking side of things. But but on the whole, it's just yeah, that happened, and well, it's, now it's now it's the next race, and now it's the next training block, and yeah, that's yeah, it's it's quite it's quite a sort of simple simple lifestyle, I suppose, kind of train, race, and repeat, really, and and things happening amongst it, and. What when, when when it's kind of off the newspapers for a bit, then it gets forgotten about, and the next training block starts, and the next race is the new focus, and and yeah, I think the 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 general lifestyle and the way that not just not just Alison and Johnny, but the general group and the general program take that kind of that media attention is that again, yeah, you that'll that'll be good for a while, but if you don't keep winning races, then the media will, will soon will soon drop off as well, so. I think that's that's what they what they love doing, that's what all athletes love doing, isn't it? they like love training, love racing, love competing, love testing themselves and yeah, some of the media stuff will come along with it and, and some of it won't and you just take but take it and take it and get on with it. So mm-hmm.
0: Is there a race in Leeds this year again? Um
2: yeah, in um June. I think it's June now. I feel I'll be I'll be getting sacked if it's wrong, but yeah,
0: <laughs> I'm gonna write Yeah,
2: um, I should know them off by heart, but yeah, there's another race in June in, in Leeds this year, so
0: just written that down so i can get there because i I couldn't make it last time i was gutted Now it's cool um nice well i'm just um i'm just conscious of time but where can i know you're pretty open with people getting in touch and things where can people get in touch with you where's the best place
2: um again i I, i'm i wouldn't say i'm active on a lot of social media stuff i do a lot of following and probably stalking would probably be the best phrase if you're on twitter and things like that but but it's just ian piper on twitter so just my name all Altogether, together, I think, um, I-A-N-P-Y-P-E-R, not with an I. Um, and then, again, people look me up on LinkedIn or I'm on Instagram, but I don't really do an awful lot of that. You should just put up nice snaps from places that I've, that I've been fortunate enough to end up going on a camp or a competition. Um, so, yeah, again, feel free feel free to get in touch. I do try my best to get back to everyone at some point. It may be a few weeks, but I will get back to you at some point. Um, and, again, yeah, if anyone's around, just, just look me up and give me a shout and I'll maybe catch up with you at some point.
0: Sounds good, mate. Well, thanks a lot for your time. Really appreciate you uh, giving Monday evening to have a chat and uh, and, and go through what uh, we we'll went through. So appreciate that, and we'll uh, we'll keep in touch. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Speak soon. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to episode one hundred and twenty four of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoy the chat with Ian as much as I did. So, great guy, and really, really pleased to get it, get him on the podcast uh, after much stalking over the last couple of months and managed to get in the bag. So, massive thanks to Valve Performance and Coach Me Plus for sponsoring the episode today. So, make sure you check them both out, and I really appreciate their support. As I've said before, if you are enjoying the podcast, please, please share on social media and with your network so more people can get access to the great guests and the great information that they're providing. So again, like I mentioned, every single week, got some really good guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. And Just make sure you tune in, uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hope you have a good week and I will speak to you soon.